I believe as we let the Spirit transform us into kind people and compassionate people and people who forgive others the wrongs they've done us, that's what it means to be as, as much as it's possible with you. Be at peace with all men. Hi, my name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. So if you happen to be our guest this morning, we're using the Advent wreath as uh, an outline on which to hang our thoughts for the Advent season. And last week, we, uh, we lit the first candle of Advent. We lit the first candle of Advent, which is called the prophet's candle, because it points us to the fact that when Jesus came, he, he came on the, on the foundation of lots of prophecies telling us he was coming. And it's also called the, the candle of hope, because it reminds us of the hope that they had at his first coming. And we talked last week about the hope we have at his second coming, that Jesus is coming again. And so we have, we have hope for that. Now, the second candle of the Advent wreath is known as the, the Bethlehem candle because it's supposed to remind us or it points us, not supposed to, it points us, reminds us of, of the trek that Jesus or Jesus' parents made, or Jesus was with them, right, in, 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 in his mother's womb. But he, uh, they, the trek they made from Nazareth to, to Bethlehem. Let me read you that little portion here real quickly. This is from Luke. It says, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. And this was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on their way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. It was about a 90-mile trek from Nazareth to, to Bethlehem. They think it would have been like a four-day uh, walk, eight hours a day, uh, four days, probably five or six with Mary being the way she was uh, and, and near giving birth. Probably pretty miserable for, for Mary, I would imagine, uh, on that trek. This second candle is called the Bethlehem candle, but it's also called um, the, hand, the candle of peace because it points us to the fact that the advent of Jesus brought us peace. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The word peace is found in the Old Testament like 200 times. It's found in the New Testament 100 times. And, and I thought it would be really good for us to listen to uh, Tim Mackey and the Bible Project guys talk about the word peace. The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is eirene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete 
or hole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect hole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting, it also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom and his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. They gave this message, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I, I love that statement because it tells us that God is pleased with his creation. You know, a lot of times we like to think that, we're not to like to think, we're often told that God is angry with his creation, that God is somehow filled with wrath against his creation. God loves uh, his creation. God loved what he created. Now, that doesn't mean that he loves everything we do. We know that he doesn't necessarily love or even appreciate all the things that he does, but that verse tells us that he was pleased with his creation of us. And I also like this verse or this statement the angels made because it tells us that God sent Jesus to give us shalom, to give us this peace that, that Tim was describing on, on earth. But shalom really does seem to elude us, doesn't it? It does seem to elude the world. There really doesn't seem to be peace on the earth. Back in the American Civil War, the poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow uh, received word on Christmas Eve that his son had been gravely wounded. And so he penned a poem on Christmas Day to, to talk about this. One of the verses that he wrote was this, And in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. So much of humanity has been seeking this kind of peace that, that seemed to be promised to us when Jesus was born. Uh, we've talked, we talk about peace, we sing about peace, we give out peace prizes to everyone, you know. One little girl was diligently working on a project at home and her dad said, uh, honey, what are you doing? And she, she was working on a project for school. She says, I'm working on a plan for world peace. And her father started laughing and he said, honey, that's, that's a pretty big task for a little girl. And she said, oh, no, it's not. Dad, I got two of my friends helping me. <laughs> I imagine that most of you know that God promised us through the prophets that his anointed king, the Messiah, would be called the Prince of Peace. So Isaiah 9, the, the, the chapter and verse that we, we kind of used last week as an example of the prophet's prophecies, right? 
It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and this last title, Prince of Peace. Then everyone believed, everyone believed that when Messiah came, peace, shalom, would characterize his reign. Shalom would characterize the world. We would all experience wholeness. I've told you, I've told you this many, I'm going to turn this over to this side. Many of us, uh, I've told you this many times that prior to the 1800s, most followers of Jesus believed that the good news of Jesus would so saturate and permeate the world that, that peace would come to all the world and that when Jesus came back, he would step into a world that had already been redeemed by the gospel. And uh, of course, World War I came, World War II came, shattered that idealism. I don't think too many believers hold to that position, though some still hold to that. It is perplexing, isn't it, that Jesus would, himself would say something like this. John 11, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give, you, give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Again, peace I live with you, leave with you. Then Jesus said this, Matthew 10. Do not suppose that I came to bring peace to the earth. Uh, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man's father, a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. So Jesus, this, this ruler of shalom, this, this prince of peace, right? He himself says, in some way, he came to not bring peace, but to bring hostility between even members of a family. And we see this. We see this, this man's hum, inhumanity against man. It just continues to grind on time after time. So what does it mean this Christmas that Jesus is the Prince of Peace? In what way does Jesus mean that he came to bring us peace, but at the same time say, you know, I'm not going to bring peace, I'm going to bring division. So what way is Jesus the Prince of Peace for us? In which way, in what way is he our our shalom. So I, I think there's a number of different ways in which Jesus is the Prince of Peace, reminded by that second candle of the Advent. Let me share them with you. Here's the first one. Jesus gives us genuine peace with God. And I know you thought that was coming, right? Or you knew that was coming. Jesus gives us genuine peace with God. And I, I can't say that, but think in the back of my mind, there's a lot of people that think, well, I don't, I'm not at odds with God. I don't have a problem with God, right? I'm, I'm at peace with God. But, but this is what God says to you and me. He says, even though we were his enemies, God made peace with us because his son died for our sins. Now that we're at peace with God, we will be saved for eternity by his son's life. That's Romans 5. Here's 2 Corinthians 5. God sent Christ to make the Messiah to make peace between himself and us. So you might not think you have a problem with God. You might not think that you need peace with God. But God's word says something different. Isaiah the prophet told Israel years and years ago, he said in just chapter 59, Indeed, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save and his ear not too deaf to hear. But he goes on, but your iniquities, your sins are separating you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not listen. The Bible says that our sin puts a separation between us and God. And in the New Testament, it says the wages of sin is death. The ultimate separation from God is death. It's to be cast into the valley of Hinnon, to be cast into hell, to be cast into the lake of fire, which is called in the Revelation, the second death. You and I need to be reconciled with God. 
And we need to have this wall of separation removed. If not, we will die separated from God forever and ever and ever. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should have eternal life and not not perish and not perish. God sent his son for you and me that we might have peace with the Lord so that when we face him one day, we will not perish, but we will have eternal life. Jesus is our peace with God. Here's another thing that the Prince of Peace came to give us with his coming. Jesus gives us reconciling peace with one another. In his kingdom, he says he tore down all the barriers. He tore down the barrier of male and female, free and slave. Those things that divided people. And they still divided people as far as how they live. But they didn't have to relationally divide people. They didn't have to. We weren't to think that we were better than another because we were male or female. Or because we were a slave or, or someone who was an owner. We, uh, we didn't have to feel divided by those. We were one family. He made us one in the Lord Jesus. He gave us reconciling peace with each other. And probably the biggest place that, that they experienced that was in the Jewish Gentile divide. Because the first covenant was was made with the Jewish people. So you had the Jews on the one hand and the Gentiles on the other. And uh, of course, Matt read about that this morning. But here's what Paul said Jesus came to do with his coming. So this is Ephesians chapter 2. I think it's chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah. For he is our peace who made both groups one, that is the Jewish and the Gentile groups one, and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed regulations. So Paul is saying he did away with that, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to you who were near. So Jesus tore down the wall of division between all of us in his kingdom. There is no division between us. We're one in the Lord Jesus. And it's not a big deal to us. We've been living in a Gentile church for for generations upon generations upon generations. We don't know what it's like to have been God's people, the Jewish people, and the Gentiles were not God's people as a nation. And then God now bringing them together. I mean, that was a big thing, especially for Jewish believers, but probably also for the Gentile new believers. But God tore down those walls of division and brought peace between all of us, right? And and so if we don't love others in the kingdom, then I'm telling you, we're highly misguided. And if we don't love people in the kingdom, I personally think we're deceived. I think we're, we're, we're liars and the truth is not in us if we do not love our brothers and sisters. But, but let me go further. Let me go further because remember, we're talking about Jesus, our peace, right? And I said, Jesus came to bring peace between you and himself, or between God and and you. And now he's come to bring peace between us and others in his kingdom. But I want to go further, and I want to say, I think Jesus came to make it so that we could bring peace between ourselves and people who are not part of of his kingdom. People who maybe even hate us. Here's what he said in Romans chapter 12. He said, 
if possible, if possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Be at peace with all men. I mean, he's not talking about the church there. He's talking about, he's talking about us being at peace with people who hate us. So how do we do that? And here I think it is in black and white. So bear with me because I, I realize that if you're, if, you, if, you, if you're looking at context, you're going to say, well, this isn't talking about people outside the kingdom. And you're absolutely right. Here's what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4 to us as believers, to followers of Jesus. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander along with every form of malice, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Messiah God forgave you. That's directed towards us. That's how we're to respond and live towards one another, right? But I'm going to tell you that I think God would have us live that out in our relationships with unbelievers, in our relationship with people who even are our enemies. And the reason I say that is because we are told by Jesus so many times, love your enemies. Love those who despitefully use you. People who hurt you, you do good things to them so that you might, might cause them to become under conviction. So I'm telling you, I believe as we let the Spirit transform us into kind people and compassionate people and people who forgive others the wrongs they've done us. When, when we turn into that kind of person because the Spirit is changing us and transforming us by His Word, I'm telling you, that's what it means to us, be as, as much as it's possible with you. Be at peace with all men. That's how you live that out. That's how you do that. Number three, Jesus gives us an internal peace in the midst of external chaos. And uh, I, I think it's striking how many times in your Bibles you will read that God is the God of peace. Or in the New Testament it says, peace to all of you in Messiah. Right? So somehow no, there's, there's something about God in our lives that he wants to bring peace to us. And, um, and I don't just think it's peace with him and peace with each other. I, I think when it talks about peace to you, I think he's talking about an internal peace, a, 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 a peace in my inner man, right? A peace in my soul, a peace in who I am on the inside. You know, the Bible project, if you, just a few minutes ago when we were watching that, it says shalom is this, it's relational peace, but it's also an internal peace where everything is well, where all the pieces are, are together. Now, I think it's unfortunate, but a lot of times we as Christians, uh, we don't experience inner peace because I think inner peace is a gift from, the, from Jesus, but it's not automatic. And what I mean by that is, here's an example. John chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus said, do not let your heart be troubled. So notice in that, in that statement from Jesus, the element that sometimes we overlook. Don't let your heart be troubled. You, you have a response to make to not let your heart be troubled. Here's what I think that means. That there's going to be troubling things that are going to come your way in life. There's going to be things that are going to be really hard and really difficult. And things that trouble you. But you've got to not let those things trouble you. And a man told a psychiatrist that he, he was having a hard time sleeping at night because... He said he would sleep in his bed at night and he'd think something was underneath the bed. And, uh, and so he said he'd get out of bed and he'd look under there, but he couldn't go to sleep, so he'd sleep under the bed. But then he'd think something was on top of him. 
And then he'd go back underneath, and it was all night long, up and down, on top of the bed, under the bed. And the psychiatrist said, well, I think I can help you. It'll take two years. You come every other week, and it's $75 a, uh, a time. And the guy says, man, that's right much money. Let me talk to my wife. Next week, he calls the doctor, and he says, doc, he said, I'm, I'm not going to be coming. My wife healed me. He said, what do you mean your wife healed you? He said, well, she said that was too much money. She cut the legs off the bottom of my bed. <laughs> God wants you and me to cut the legs off of our worry. It's up to us to cut the legs off of our worry. God will give you peace, but you've got, you've got an element of responsibility in this. I think, there's, I think this is true in just all aspects of our Christian life. It's God at work in us, but yet at the same time, we have a responsibility to act a certain way. Now you say, well, what, what do you mean? I mean, you're just talking in these little jokes and all, right? What do you mean cut the legs uh, off your troubles? Well, here it is. This is Isaiah the prophet from years ago. He says of God, chapter 26, verse 3. This is a good verse to memorize. You will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace, for it is trusting in you. You will keep the mind in perfect peace because it is trusting, that is dependent on you because you are trusting in Him. I'm telling you, that is, a, that is a wonderful verse for us to live out. The verse says, hey, God will give you perfect peace, but here's the deal. Here's how you cut the legs off your bed. You trust in Jesus. You trust in Jesus. And you say, what do you mean isn't that? Just, you're just, you're saying the same thing a different way. No, I'm not. The word, the word God will keep you in perfect peace, that's guard, protect. God will protect you, right? God will protect your heart and give you peace, right? But the condition is you've got to be steadfastly trusting in him, all right? And, uh, and I think this is really neat also. There's no perfect peace. It doesn't say perfect peace. Did you know that? In that verse, it does not say perfect peace. Here's what it says. It says, he says, uh, let me go back to the verse. It says, you will keep, uh, the mind that is dependent on you. Listen, in shalom, shalom. In other words, there's, it doesn't use perfect peace. It just uses shalom, shalom twice. Because it, it's, it's trying to reiterate, it's just this absolutely super shalom that God's going to keep you in when your mind is, is stayed on Him. So when we're in the midst, no, notice he doesn't say he's going to keep us from trouble. He just says he's going to give us shalom, shalom, when, when our mind and heart and our trust is steadfast on him. That's our responsibility, to look to him, to, to trust in him, not to necessarily fix our problems, but to, but to look to him. And when I look to him, no matter what I'm going through, he's going to guard, protect the peace of my heart. And it's the word of John 14 where Jesus, Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. It's the same thing, a rep repetition of shalom. Shalom I leave with you, my shalom I give to you, not as the world gives. Let your heart not be troubled. Let it not be fearful. How do you do that? The condition is keep your mind set on the Lord Jesus. Keep trusting him. So Paul writes the Philippian church and he says this, don't worry about anything. But in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul's saying the same thing. That's what the prayer is. It's dependent on God. It's looking to God. It's trusting in God. It's making Him your refuge. Now, let me say something here. This is not 
easy. This is really hard to do. And I'm not trivializing. I really don't mean to trivialize anybody's fears. But, but I stand by this truth that the Prince of Peace will guard the peace of your heart if you will keep focused on him, if you will keep trusting him, if you'll keep looking uh, to him. He's, and, and here's what I mean by that. He's, he's not going to leave you. He's got you. I mean, look to him in prayer. Look to him, you know. I mean, just keep talking to him. He's never going to leave you. He's going to walk with you till the end. And here's his promise. Here's his promise. His promise is all things will work together for you, for your good, to those who love God. Now, now I don't think that means that I'll necessarily get the outcome in this life right now that I'm hoping for, wanting for, but wanting to have. But, but I do believe he's saying that if you'll take the long view picture in the end, in the end, I will make it right. All things will work together for good to those who love the Lord. And it's going to be good in the end. And again, I don't, you know, I, I, I'll just be honest. She's not here, but I don't think she'll mind me mentioning I think I thought of Donna. I thought of Donna a lot, um, you know, when I was working on this point this week. Because, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it can definitely rob you of your inner peace to learn that you've got cancer. And then it's, you know, it's, it's advanced, Right. So, but I tell you what, I think Donna is, is, you know, the Bible says to encourage one another. And I think Donna is an encouragement to all of us. I don't know if she's listening. You tell her to listen to what I'm saying. But I think Donna is an encouragement to others because even this morning in our prayer time, somebody was talking, somebody was praying about how Donna is facing this adversity by trusting in Christ and being at peace in her heart. And it's evident if you talk to her. It's evident, right? How is she doing that? How is she having peace? And will she have moments where, you know, she's going, yes, but as she keeps her mind stayed on Jesus, she keeps looking to him, he's going to keep her heart in perfect peace. Number four, Jesus gives us comforting peace in the face of death. Here's what the author of Hebrews says, Matt. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood. This is the, the, the New Living Translation. The Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. And you're going to die because you're a son of, in my opinion, you're going to die because you're a son of Adam. Death entered into the world through Adam. And uh, so it passed down to every man. I think all of us are going to die because I want to, you know, I, I don't think about this often, but I think about this. There's coming a day where we will, none of us will be alive. None of us in this room will be alive. None of you listening on live stream will be alive because we're all, assuming Jesus tarries, right? Um, and, and, and death is a, death is a fearful thing. People say, well, death's not all that fearful. It is. The Bible says people live as slaves to their fear of dying. And people are very much afraid of, of dying. Okay? Here's what Jesus came to give us because he made peace with us and God. He, he removes the fear of death. We do not have to be afraid of dying because God has promised us eternal life. God has promised us that he's going to resurrect us from the dead and embodied life as we have it now, but better. 
right? Embodied life 2.0. Paul said that we bury the seed, but what comes out is going to be different, right? It's going to be better. So in the same way, we're going to bury the old, but when God raises the new, I mean, it's going to be just absolutely wonderful. And But here's the deal. Jesus gives us peace, and when we're facing death, we don't have to be afraid. We can die in peace. And that's why, you know, when in the um, Psalm 23, where it says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. We don't have to, fe- we don't have to fear death in the, valley of, in, the, in the valley of the shadow of death because we have the promise of, of life. And so he gives us peace in that. And the last thing is Jesus gives us the promise of world peace when he comes again. Um, you know, I've used this before, but I'm going to use it again. You all remember, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Miss Congeniality, but uh, Sandra Bullock, play, Bullock plays a, a detective who enters the Miss Universe pageant to catch a, a bad guy. And I can't remember the whole thing, but I can remember they're standing on stage, the contestants are, and they're asked the question, what do you want most? And every lady goes, I want world peace. And everybody just cheers, right? And then, and then they get to Sandra Bullock and, and they say, what do you want? What do you think the world needs most? And Sandra Bullock says, tougher penalty on parole violators. And then it scans over the audience and nobody's laughing. Everybody's serious. And she goes, uh, and world peace. And they all jump up and, and cheer. Everybody wants world peace. And I'm telling you this, in my lifetime of almost 64 years, in my lifetime, I, I tell you what, it seems to me, I'm sure it's not true. Go back to World War II. Some of, some of you were alive in that time, right? I mean, I'm sure the world needed greater peace. But in my lifetime, this seems like it, this seems like a time where we need more peace in the world than, than really ever before. The Global Peace Index, which is a, a meter of how peaceful the world is, has been decreasing for the last 11 years. I went online and perused a lot of articles on world peace. And, uh, and, and, and honestly, man, a lot, of, a lot of articles on the internet, I'm not talking about Christian articles, I'm just talking about worldly articles by people, secular articles. I mean, they don't, they don't entertain much hope of world peace. One article said that to obtain world peace, this is what we need to do. We need to redistribute all of wealth fairly, take from the wealthy and give to the poor, tackle climate change, and stop gun sales. I'm going to put my bet on those three little girls that are working on their plan for world peace. I'm going to put my bet on their plan versus that one. But the Bible says, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? And the rhetorical answer is what? They can't, right? They can't. So honestly, folks, I really don't see this side of the return of Jesus there ever really being world peace. I mean, we might have moments of it where it's less. We might have moments of it where it's, it's going to, you know, the world's going to seem like it's all at war. I mean, we've had World War I. We've had World War II. Nowhere, said, nowhere does it say we won't have World War III, right? So there's going to be, there's going to be ups and downs and all this. But, but before we end this morning, I want you to visualize world peace. I want you to visualize world peace. And that world peace is going to come when the Prince of Peace, who brought us peace with God, peace with one another in his kingdom, peace on the inside, peace at the the day of death, right? That same Prince of Peace is coming back. And when he comes back, all those other things are in the now. All those other things are in the present. But this last one, he says, when he comes again, he will bring world peace. He'll bring world peace to us. 
And it's coming a day when Jesus says he's going to destroy, those are not my words, but his words, all the unrighteousness and all the unrighteous and leave them not a stalk or a root. In the Old Testament, God said things like this, and the nation shall be, this is, this is good, right? This is good about Messiah the King. In the Old Testament, it says, and the nation shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. They will learn war no more. Didn't we sing a little children's song about that? They'll learn war no more. Here's Isaiah the prophet talking about the Prince of Peace coming. He says, then a, this is chapter 11 of Isaiah, then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him and a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. That was Jesus. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He will not execute justice by what he hears with his ears, but he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. Now, now verse 3 is the first coming. Verse 4 is the second coming. Let me read it again. He will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. He will strike the land with a scepter from his mouth. He will kill the wicked with the commands from his lips. Righteousness will be a belt around his hips. Faithfulness will be the belt around his waist. The wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leper will lie down with the goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatted calf will be together and a child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze. Their young ones will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the cattle. An infant will play outside the cobra's pit and a toddler will put his hand in a snake's den and they will not harm or destroy each other on my entire holy mountain. For the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with the water. That's the world peace that Jesus is bringing. It's not just going to be peace, relational peace between us. It's not just going to be that the wars, that the nations aren't warring. I mean, he's, he's lifting the curse. And even in the animal world, everything will change. There's coming a new world order and Jesus will be at the helm. The curse is lifted. The sinfulness and selfishness of man will be eradicated. The New Testament speaks of that day too in Revelation. It says, He, God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. So don't lose sight of that. Keep it in front of you. Visualize it, right? Visualize the fact that Jesus is coming and he's going to make the world new and there will be world peace. So let's end this. The advent of Jesus brought us the Prince of Peace who uh, wants to shower our lives with shalom. And um, so it's no wonder that we celebrate the advent of Jesus, right? Kind of, I think Evan said it and then Matt said it. There's no reason why we shouldn't do this because of what Jesus accomplished for us, right? And uh, so let me just kind of give you several applicational responses to the thoughts this morning, some takeaways for this week, this season, this year ahead. Here'd be the first one. And it's really, I'm going to ask these in the form of a question. Have you made peace with God? I mean, that's the biggest question. Have you made peace with God? Do you recognize you need to be at peace with God? Do you recognize that Jesus came to give you peace with God? Now, if you don't know whether you have peace with God, there's a pretty good chance you don't 
have peace with God. So if you, if you, if you want to talk to somebody, talk, listen, it's just as easy. Talk to God. God, I want to have peace with you. I want to receive you. I want to follow you. But, you know, if you like more help, talk, talk to me. Or just, you know, I was, I was sitting here this morning when, when Evan was talking and then Matt was sharing. And, and, and I was thinking, God, our, our church family is going to be okay. It's going to be okay because there's so many deep, godly men and women in our church family. We're going to be okay. So I say that simply to say this. If, if you have any questions, the guy sitting next to you, the gal sitting next to you, they can probably help you. So if you've got questions, just lean over and say, hey, I want to follow Jesus. I want to have peace with God. Can you help me with that? As many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to have peace with God. So if you don't have peace with God, you need to make peace with God. Here's another one. Are you walking in relational peace with others, and especially with regard to the church, especially with regard with one another as brothers and sisters? Uh, Here's what Paul said. Remember what we said earlier. Here's what he said also. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as the Messiah and the Messiah God forgave you. That might be the same text I read earlier. But, but forgiving one another, you know, do you need to forgive someone? Seriously, do you need to forgive someone? Is there someone that you are at odds with, that you don't speak to, that you, you have, you've put up a block, relational block between you and them? Man, there's an awful lot in the Scripture about if we won't forgive our brother, God won't forgive us. I just, I just share that as a warning. I'm just, I'm calling you. Don't, don't harbor unforgiveness because you'll lose peace. You won't have peace if you harbor unforgiveness. So do you, are you walking in relational peace with others? If you're not, then fix it. As much as it depends on you, fix it, right? And for some of you, it depends on you. I've discovered that over the years. It often depends on me. When I'm at odds with someone, it, it depends on me to fix it, right? I, I, it, you know, it, might be, it might depend on them too. God might be saying, it depends on you. But so often when I'm out of odds with someone, it's, it, it depends on me to fix it. The third thing I'd ask you would be this. Are you have peace within? You have peace within. How do you have peace within? You keep your mind stayed on Jesus. You keep your heart stayed fixed on Him. That's how you have peace within. So if you're struggling, listen, if you're struggling, then chances are somehow you've lost sight of the person you need to stay steadfast focused on. How do I do that when cancer is there? How do I do that when I get, I let go of my job and it's how I support my family? Well, how, how do I do that when my child has walked away from Jesus and we could just go on and on and on with all kinds of questions like that? And the answer is, we've already said this, it's stay connected to Jesus. I mean, get up in the morning and cry out to Jesus. Talk to Jesus. Talk to him through the day. Read your Bibles. And don't read your, I don't mean read your Bible like a checklist. I mean, read your Bible to let God speak to you. Let him speak to you as you're reading your Bibles. And talk to him. I mean, stay connected to him. Stay connected to him. If you stay connected to him, he will guard your heart with peace. And last, uh, I would say this, and this, this is different. Be an agent of peace. Uh, here's my last takeaway. Be an agent of peace. When Jesus invited you into the kingdom, I think, he, I think he's inviting you also to be an agent of peace, to bring, help bring peace to others. I think every one of you in this room should be an agent of peace. And, and I thought about this. We could make a whole message on what it means, it looks like to be an agent of peace in the world, right? But I just want to give you one thing. Here's how you can be the greatest agent of peace. You know what it is? Who, who's the prince of peace? You? No. Jesus is, right? 
So if you want to bring peace to the world, what should you do? You should be introducing the Prince of Peace to everyone you know. You should be telling them about the Prince of Peace. You should be telling them about the peace he's given you. That's your testimony, right? You should be giving him, you should be sharing testimonies how the Prince of Peace, man, you were at odds with so and so, and man, the Prince of Peace came, and I don't know what happened, but I just fell in love with the person that I was angry with, right? He just, Jesus, the Prince just changed me, right? You should be sharing testimony. You should be introducing them to this Prince of Peace who's given you peace. I used to be afraid of dying. I'm not afraid of dying anymore because Jesus says, promise me eternal life. And on and on and on it goes. Introduce people to the Prince of Peace. Let's finish this morning. I want you to watch the end of the video, and I, uh, the Shalom video by, the, by Tim Mackey. And uh, I thought about starting it where it ended, but I decided against it. I'm going to go back to the beginning. It's only like three minutes long. So watch the entire video, if you would, please. The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting, it also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom, and his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. 
Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check us out on YouTube and Facebook to get to know us and see what God is doing here in Surrey. Be blessed. <laughs>